There was a long stretch where when I came to Grace, it, well, not in the earliest years, but then as years went by, I began to notice a pattern. Somewhere between Thursday and, and Monday, it was just like all-out spiritual warfare on my soul. And it, it long time, it just went away, but it's back with a vengeance these last two, two three months. It's just, I, I sense it. And so I come up this morning just in utter weakness. It's spiritual. It's nothing else but spiritual warfare. So the Lord must have something really wonderful in store for us when, you know, when Satan is attacking in that way. I wanted to say one thing about what Drew was saying. If you want to, if you want to be discipled and you haven't been, look, I'm just getting old enough that why waste time beating around the bush? It's your fault. If you want to be discipled, it's up to you. You're the one that's got to pursue somebody. It's extremely... You know what? I've started saying no when people come to me and say, look, I want you to talk to so-and-so. They really need... I say, no, have them call me. Then I'll talk. Because if I go, when somebody doesn't want to hear it, they really don't want to hear it by the time, you know, that I'm past. You take charge of your own spiritual life. Now, it's not you ultimately in charge. It's going to be the Lord bringing you along. But when you've got it on your heart, find somebody. When I was at TBR 20 years, every year there were just such wonderful young men and women that I wanted to pour into their lives, but I only had time to pour into a handful because you got 30, 40 staff every summer. What are you going to do? you got several full-time staff year-round. What are you going to do? You're going to pour into the lives of the people who want it. Not the people that you think have promise, but the people who want it. So the people who wouldn't be denied weren't denied. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, find somebody who's going to help you do that at another level. I guess that's one of those benefits of, you know, being in this kind of mood this morning is I can just flat out say it like it is. (laughs) Tell it, brother. I just don't want to hear, shut up, brother. That's enough of that. (laughs) Well, if I were to ask you to write on a piece of paper, the three to five most important people in the world to you, who would make that list? Now, let's say your family can be one. Like you say, well, it's my my mom, my dad, or my, my wife, my husband, my son. No, all of them are one. Who's going to make that list? The three to five most important people... How about values in life? What are the three to five most important values in your life? I'm talking about things like honesty, integrity, justice, compassion, strong work ethic, fairness in video games, you know, those kind of things. Whatever. These are the most important values in your life. I'm just kidding on that last one, sort of. If you were to make these two lists, I think you'd be surprised to discover, well, not surprised, but you would just say, yep, 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 that's pretty much it. These are people with whom, and and you already have a long history and values that have been instilled in you a long time ago. Now, there may be a person or two on this list that that you would hope would come, become important to you, such as, oh, 
I just hope he will be mine someday. Or, you know, she is so hot, and I just hope that she's on that list, you know, one of these days. But for the most part, these are people with whom you already have a history. And and look, likewise, it's the same thing with the values. You didn't come up with these overnight. Your parents poured these into you. They instilled these values into you a long time ago. Or groups, people that you've been associated with have impacted you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which most of you are, I, I assume, then surely Scripture has had... And big impact in your life in shaping what's important to you and what's not so important and what is absolutely unacceptable as a value in your life. So when you take a, a, a mental look at these mental look at these two lists, it's more describing who you are than who you want to be. Of course you want to have deeper relationships. Of course you you, you want to be more industrious and more disciplined, more dependable. But for the most part, core values describe who you already are, having been shaped by extrinsic forces more than inner musings. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, and you're a student of Scripture, you should embrace more and more of what's important to God, which is why there is benefit in identifying what is already important to you. It helps keep you on the right track for the future. To say, this is, these things are more important because, you know, look, <clears throat> absolute, utter, 100% honesty is going to be more important to you in one situation than it is another. And integrity and, 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 and a strong work ethic and, and compassion... And care, it's going to be important, more important to you at one time than it is another. But if, if you're vi- revisiting these core values that you have determined, this is what's important to me, it helps to keep you on the right track. It's true for individuals, it's true for organizations. So, what have we identified as a church as the values that are most important to us? What would we say are the core values here at Grace Community Church? Well, funny you should ask. We happen to have eight of them. We'll spend most of our time this morning on the first two core values, actually more on the second than the first. But I want to take a brief overview of all of the eight core values that we have at Grace. And it'll be helpful to know that these core values were hammered out by the elders and, 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 and taken to a further extent in our home groups some five to six, seven years after the church had already been in existence. The, the, existence. the Constitution and the bylaws were determined right from the beginning. It took a long time to, to, to work that out. But, but the founders of the church, the elders, went to the, to the Word and they said, what is it that God has established for His church that's universal, that's eternal, that's these principles never going to change? What does He want us to be as a church, how are we to be structured? What's our statement of faith, our statement of beliefs going to be? How are we going to uh, organize corporate worship and, and, and ministry formation? What do we think about programs versus ministries? Those types of things. So the Constitution is, if you will, it's a statement of the founder's best understanding of what the Scripture says about how God has designed the church in these 
Acts 29 days, you know, when we're past the first church, but we're moving on into the future where we've been given instructions in Scripture, but so much of what we do today is what was done in the very first church. The core values were prayerfully and carefully identified some six to seven years after the founding of the church. And they are, they were and are more of a statement of how God has shaped our church as we have grown, not only numerically, but also spiritually seeking God along, along the way. It's, it's kind of like our personality. This is our church's personality. It's based on what we believe, but it, it, it fans out beyond just the core beliefs that we have to, to, to move into the principles and the ways that we function as a church. So what are the most important values of grace? First, life-related Bible teaching. Foundational. The Bible is both true and transformative, telling us accurately what to believe, and it is relevant to specific problems of contemporary living. We equip Christians, young and old, through discipleship, through the teaching of God's Word, to follow Christ in every realm of life. First core value. Second, participatory worship. Meaningful worship is not a performance by a few, but a heartfelt response by all to the magnificence of God. Our worship services are Christ-centered, God-honoring, culturally relative, relevant Creative, innovative, grounded in Christian heritage, but not blindly tied to church tradition. What an important sentence. Rooted and grounded in Christian heritage, but not blindly tied to church tradition. Next. Dependence on God. God's work is accomplished by His grace, not by human rules or efforts. By God's grace working through our faith... Our lives are transformed, needs are met, ministry is accomplished. By God's grace, we serve Christ from thankfulness rather than from guilt or mere obedience to legalistic rules. A few weeks ago, I was having one of my 10,000 tests that I'm having in the month of March. And medical tests, and this guy says, he looked at my, my chart and it says that I'm teaching elder at Grace Community Church, and he says, Grace, is that reformed? I said, well, yes, it is. He said, well, most Grace churches are reformed. And just think about the way the name of Grace Community Church was chosen. Grace, it's all about God. It's not about us. It's God's grace that that, that, that transforms us into who we are. Community, it's way more than just a denomination. We want to be a community. It's like David says, we are, you are the church, but we are gathered as a local body. But we want to be as inclusive as we can with an exclusive message that we have about Jesus is the only way for salvation. Not good works, only through Jesus. Grace Community Church, and that indicates our identification with Jesus and with His church. Sean is going to talk about this next week. Then we're going to take a few weeks off for Easter And we'll get back to the core values the following couple of Sundays. Team leadership. God has designed the church to be led by a team of people, not by one individual. 
Our pastors and other leaders function as player coaches who help train and engage our members in ministry. In other words, as we have learned in our study of Sabbath rest, there is no one person who has all the answers and nobody is indispensable. But rather than thinking about this negatively, think about it in a positive uh, sense in which the m- multiple team members contribute to a far better decision. It, it, unless, of course, you, you, you become paralyzed, but we try to do our best to take steps to keep that from happening. And when you've got a lot of people contributing, you get so much a better product in the end. Um, think about the, the benefits of, 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 of feedback rather than one person running the whole show on his or her own whether we're talking about an entire church or a specific ministry. So more about that after Easter 5th. Community through small groups. Community means caring relationships with one another, regardless of racial, cultural, or economic differences. In our small groups, we can get to know people, meet needs, hold each other accountable, and offer newcomers a place to belong. We hardly ever talk about home groups here on Sunday morning. So let's move on. Sixth. When we were looking at these core values, Sean was saying, please, no, please, don't make me talk about home groups. I always talk about home groups. Every member and minister, God works through people and gives every believer talents and gifts vital to accomplishing his plan. We help each member discover Cultivate and employ those gifts so that the church can better meet people's needs and individuals can reach their full potential in Christ. Now, let me say this. I've been, you know, I'm saying, look, if you want to be discipled, it's your fault if you're not. Well, look, if somebody comes to you and says, I need somebody to help lead me. If you don't or if you don't get this person connected with somebody, then you're accountable. You're responsible. It's our... Charge to help pass along what we already know. So we help people discover and cultivate these gifts so that everybody is participating. Look, if God designed us as a, as a building or as a, as a body, a living organism, is one of the ways, one of the primary ways Christ talks about and Paul and Peter talk about a church, it's a, it's a body, then how can we function like we should if everybody's not participating. I mean, it's just extremely difficult. So we desperately need you to be doing what God has called you to do. Well, I'll stop and we'll come back to that in April. Seventh, world transformation. People matter to God. I think we know that, don't we? But we have to remind ourselves of that. People matter to God and therefore matter to us. We seek to share the life-changing message of eternal life through Jesus Christ with our families, our friends, our communities, and our world. We seek to support those who are hurting because of tragedy or injustice. The mission conference is still ringing in my heart. Uh, There's plenty of mission to be accomplished, not only around the world, but in our own community. And we're talking about that a lot these days, when we come to this core value on April 15th, Ron and Debbie Stafford are going to be with us to share about their partnership with us down in Colombia, South America. And the last 
core value, creativity, innovation, and excellence. Meeting needs is more important than maintaining programs. While our message is timeless, our methods adapt to those we are here to serve. And all that we do, we give God only our our best. That's our desire, isn't it? I mean, we do want to give God our very best, don't we? I mean, that's why we've emphasized what happens up here on Sunday mornings on the platform, beginning with the projector and the lights. You're going to notice a big difference in the lighting next Sunday because this week they're going to get all of that wired and and, and next Sunday morning and then Sunday night when when, um, Andrew Peterson, who I always want to call Stephen Curtis Chapman, and there's a difference definitely, uh, will be here Sunday, next Sunday night, look, it, it's, it's just, just tragic if we don't sell this thing out. I mean, I hear David saying, look, uh, tell your friends, tell everybody. And last time we had to just sort of keep it as quiet as we could because there, so, there was so much interest. This is going to be a wonderful evening, so be here. Um, but, but look, the projector, you can see things on the screen so much better and, and, and the lighting will help so much. And, and look, that's all about the gospel, It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just about being, look, there is no way anybody can call us flashy. I guess you could if you, you know, came from a really poor place. But we're not trying to be flashy. We're just trying to make it as as presentable as possible, the gospel as presentable as possible. We'll be talking about the sound before long. Whether uh, you hear the keys or not depends on where you're sitting in here. Just because, you know, we... Of, of our limited equipment with, with sound. Some of you are saying, man, that's loud. And others are saying, come on, turn it up. I can't even hear it. It may depend on where you're sitting, where you, whether you hear the sound or not. I mean, like, for instance, those of you over here can hear very well, and those of you over here, it's a lot more difficult over here. <laughs> so you see, let's raise money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, look, some of you have given quite generously to the projects, and and and. And I don't know who you are. I want to say thank you. I just leave that to the Lord. We're all grateful for anybody being obedient to the Lord with regards to giving. But it's clear that you get this core value, which can absolutely be identified in Scripture. And we'll come back to it when we get there. Well, these core values are on our website. I wanted to take time to just give an overview because they really, they all flow together. And plus, we've spent a lot of time talking about this core value, even in this series, the 29th chapter, talking about where we take our instructions for functioning as we do as as a church in the kingdom. We believe that the Bible is is absolute truth and that it not only teaches us about God, but it also teaches us about what God expects from us as individuals and as a church. So our primary focus, our, our, our remaining time is going to be spent mostly on this second core of participatory worship as we're taught in Scripture. We'll look first at our text and uh, spend time thinking about that, and then we'll take the last few minutes to come back to this, this core value and think about why we articulate worship as an all-inclusive, body-wide activity, not just a performance by a handful of people. Our passage this morning is John four nineteen through twenty six. 
Uh, Jim and Joy Acock told me this morning, they heard on the way over here, uh, if you make up, don't run, you ain't worshipped. I'm not sure that's, we're going to find that in John 4, 19 to 26. <laughs> Boy, people say some funny things, don't they? If you're worried about your suit getting wet, you ain't worshipping from your sweat, you know, stuff like that. These verses in John 4 give us a concluding remarks between Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, it was culturally unthinkable that Jesus, a teacher, a, a prophet, would be talking to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman, and then add on top of it, this was a, a, a grossly immoral Samaritan woman. She'd had five husbands, and she was living with a man now who was not her husband. And yet, here Jesus was talking to her. He called her out, and he offered her eternal salvation at the same time. Can you imagine this? And so many people that would have judged him for talking with her and would have said, you are scum of the earth, get out of my presence, didn't receive the eternal life that this woman did because of her belief in Jesus. Jesus made some remarks in this passage that are extremely important with regard to worship. Almost all of you have heard them before. and We're going to look at them from the perspective of our participation in worship as a church when we gather on Sunday morning and at other times. So would you please stand, as is our custom, to honor the truth that we are about to receive directly from God in His Word. We sort of pick up the story midstream. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The woman said to him, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And Father, we acknowledge that you are speaking to us today just as surely as your son spoke to that woman on that day. And, and, and Father, we also acknowledge that we are every, much, every bit as much in need of the gospel as that woman was who heard the truth on that day. So Lord, I pray... That you would call us out where we need to be called out. And then you would offer us that beautiful peace in you. As we trust you and as our hearts are drawn to worship, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated.
This text is a profound passage of Scripture. We could take weeks just laying out the background of what's going on here. But let's save that for another time. And let's listen in on what Jesus, the teacher, had to tell his student about worship. Now, when I say teacher, don't misunderstand me. He claims in verse 26 to be the Messiah. And we acknowledge that. We agree that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. All the book of John lays out very clearly that Jesus was and is God, that He coexisted. He's co-eternal. He, he wasn't made by the Father. He was equal with God, is equal with God, has always just existed just like the Father has. Here as the Messiah on the earth, He's teaching this woman and consequently teaching us about worship. He's speaking to one individual, but he's speaking to all about corporate worship of God by his covenant people. Jesus tells the woman that the hour has come for all true worshipers to rise and worship the Lord wherever they are. No longer will worship be um, conducted fully only in one particular place where the collective, where all the people of God are drawn to worship Him at the temple in Jerusalem. But from henceforth, from this time, the hour has come. From now on, people who worship the Lord will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, again, a lot of directions we could go from here, but let's think about this. If, if, if Jesus has identified true worshipers, then that would imply that there are false worshipers as, as well, right? So are you a true worshiper or a false worshiper? If true worship occurs, when we worship line God in line with what He has revealed about Himself in His Word, because we truth, we're told, John 17, 17, sanctify them through your truth. Jesus prayed to the Father, your word is truth. So if we know how to worship God properly, when we go to His Word... And that's true worship when we follow it. Then it would also stand a reason that false worship occurs when we do not worship God in accordance to all that He has revealed about Himself. We can't just worship God any way we want to. We have to worship Him in the ways that He has designed. You know, people talk about, hey, look, He did it wrong, but His heart's right. Well, that's true and it and, it, and it, there's a certain amount of that that is fine. But when we willfully ignore what God teaches us about Himself, and we say, I'm just going to, I just believe, my grandmother just always taught me, just so and so. When we worship according to our own plans, then we've got some pretty good company that we'll talk about in just a moment. Kent Hughes goes so far as to say this. Actually, it's not good company, it's, it's bad company. Every failure in worship or in doctrine or in practice can be traced back to wrong thoughts about God. You believe that? I mean, every, every failure in worship is traced back to wrong thoughts about God? Well, yeah. Think about Cain. Right from the very beginning, Cain 
brings his offering to the Lord and he's rejected by the Lord. He brought a sacrifice to fit his own misconceptions about God. Some people say that Cain's mistake was was one of sophistication. Really? I'm going to bring a a bloody animal to God? Wouldn't it be better to bring this nice plant from the field? I mean, the best of, of plants. Alice and I went to a nursery yesterday in Fuquay. Man, they had such beautiful plants. They all look so well taken care of. I would tell you what it is, but I don't think they pay me for advertising, so I, I, I won't tell you what. But if you want me to mention your business, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, you know, it just sort of, it, it strikes me that you look at those plants from yesterday and you, you, you can sort of see what Cain is doing. I don't want to do it that way. I want, to, I want to worship this way. God said no. Cain ran his lips out and killed his brother. Surely God will like that. No, God didn't like that. Later in history, God took the role of king. He took the kingdom away from Saul. Because here's the deal. The Philistines are coming to fight the Israelites and Israelites and and. and And Samuel has said, Saul, I'll be there, I'll offer a sacrifice, and God will be with us. And Saul waits a couple of days, three days, four, seven days. He hasn't come, and his army is melting away. And so Saul Saul says, come here, let me offer this sacrifice. Samuel gets there just after Saul offers the sacrifice and says, God has ripped away the kingdom from you. Because you've disobeyed. Now look, most of us, we understand Saul. Think about what Saul did. He did that and he didn't kill the king of the Amalekites, Agag, when God had told him to and he kept some of the best sheep. And God said, out of here. David commits adultery and has the, man, has the woman's husband murdered. To cover his tracks. I just read a novel this past week on Watergate. I didn't see any of that in there. I don't get it. I'm not sure I fully get that. I do know this. God says, worship me in accordance with the ways that I have designed. And so... Unless we were familiar with Numbers 18.7 to where, where, where we're told that only a priest can offer a sacrifice, we would say, Saul, it makes perfect sense to me. I don't think you have any choice. Make the sacrifice. And Samuel comes along and says, no, no deal. You can't worship God that way. It's no different in our day. We may worship God as an idea or concept on one end of the spectrum, just kind of like, okay, yes, uh, I'm here, and, you know, I think that the force or God or whatever it is is a good thing for me, you know. Or on the, on the far end of the spectrum, we may worship Him as a God pal. He's the God who gives me whatever I want. 
And I'm just going to pray for him to heal all my diseases, to, to pay all my bills, and, and to make all of my relationships just peachy keen. And, and everything's just going to be, if I would just give it to, I'm a child of the king. And so God will do this for me if I'll just worship him and let him know how much I love him. But is that really the God you want to worship when you think about it? Really? Is that the God you want to worship? I'm baffled that we can read Scripture and fail to see an awesome, holy, transcendent God. And I I can assure you I fail at this just as much as anybody else. I'm too casual sometimes in my approach to worship. The Father is seeking those who will worship Him according to the truth of His revelation, the truth of what He has revealed to us about Himself. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In order to worship God in this way, we we not only have to be people of the Word, but we have to be people who think. Worship is not a mindless activity. We talked about this at our home group a couple of weeks ago. When you just meditate on nothing, you're asking for trouble. When we worship, our worship needs to be directed toward God in the way that He has described Himself in His Word. It it must include thoughtful interaction with the truth about God that we know. But we're also to worship God in spirit as well as in truth. Not just truth. It's not just some academic exercise. It's far more than that. And while it's true that all worship comes under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't talking about worshiping the Holy Spirit, nor is He talking about worshiping in the power of the Holy Spirit here. But He's talking about worshiping God with the human spirit from a deep place within us. It's it's more than just this academic approach to God where, okay, God has required this, then I will give it to Him in this particular way. God wants our hearts as well as our minds. Charles Spurgeon said, God does not regard our voices. When you're singing on Sunday morning, you may listen and some of the voices are good and some of the voices are Well, um, you know what? God's not listening to our voices. He hears our hearts. And if our hearts do not sing, we have not sung at all. It's true, isn't it? It resonates. We, We know that this is true from Scripture, what we know. There's a sense that our worship should be so intense that distractions... Fade. C.S. Lewis said that the best church service is one that we notice the least. Quote, as long as you notice and have to count the steps, you're not yet dancing, but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe you don't notice. 
Good reading becomes possible when you need not consciously think about eyes or light or print or spelling. The perfect church service would be the one we are almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. Let me ask where your attention has been this morning. This is a bad day for me to ask myself this question. Where's your attention been this morning? Been on other people? Been on... It's cold in here because I turned it down one degree. Somebody can turn it up if you want to. Um, Has it been on just peripheral things? When our mind is away from God, we're really... Not worshiping. We're going to talk again in home groups this week about ways to prepare our hearts and the ways to to help us focus on worshiping the Lord while we're here. Uh, Lewis is obviously thinking about everybody who's attending a worship service. What then of our core value of participatory worship? Well, let's look at that value one more time. Meaningful worship is not a performance by a few, but a heartfelt response by all to the magnificence of God. That's what we've been discovering or remembering, those of you who have already known this in John 4. If we're going to have a genuine corporate worship service in every one of us, in the same way that all of us need to participate in order to function as a body in the way that we should, if we're going to have one of those genuine corporate worship services and all of our hearts need to be gathered together in worship. I think we know that. What what about the rest of this core value? Our worship services are Christ-centered, God-honoring, culturally relevant, creative, innovative, and grounded in Christian heritage, but not blindly tied to church tradition. Well, I think this is like number three or four or five that I'm mentioning the home groups, what we're going to be doing this week. We're going to talk about how Scripture is absolute truth, but it's also fluid enough to transcend all generations, all cultures, and even all personalities. It's one of the reasons that in our day, unlike other days, when we've got all this liberty, and, this, and I'm, not, I'm not opposed to liberty, I'm all for it, but we tend to break up into so many different styles of worship and denominations and we just have just a slightly nuanced belief or, or, or practice and so we go running all over the place. Um, I, I think because of the fact that, that, that Scripture does address the needs of all generations, cultures, and even personalities, I, I think this is what we're trying to get at in the last part of this definition. When Jesus becomes a mere example to us rather than the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When our desire to please God has far more to do with making ourselves acceptable or somebody else noticing the way that I'm worshiping than it does to, to please Him out of gratitude because of all that He has done for me. When... Our focus is on morality rather than the gospel, then we've quit worshiping. 
True worship led by the Spirit glorifies the Father by and while exalting the Son. But the style of our worship changes with the times. I'm amused by a large number of people. I I mean, I don't run into a whole lot of them, but I'm amused by people who say, boy, we've given in to the spirit of age when it comes to our worship. And these are people who were tied to the 16th and 17th centuries when, when people said, you know, we've got to worship in a new way. And they did, but it never changed after that. You know, it, so, or some are stuck to 100, 200 years ago or 50 years ago, whatever it is. Um, there's absolutely no doubt We are tied as Christians to our heritage. Do not forget this. Christianity is an historical religion. We are tied to the past. We cannot separate ourselves from the past. And look at the difference in the substance so often in the the hymns and the songs that were written 100 years ago and the ones that are written today. You can find a lot of really weak stuff written 100, 150 years ago. It's not hard to to, to go there. We're tied to the past. We we need to be. And and I'm reluctant sometimes to say this because of how people can so easily mistake it. But when we're trying to determine... What a verse means. We not only are doing our best study on the language and the, and the, and the, and the circumstances surrounding uh, why it was written, the context and all of that, but we also want to know what people through the ages have believed. Because we're tied to our past. And most likely on some of these issues, you know why you believe what you believe about the Trinity? Because people in the 4th century hammered it out. That's why you believe what you believe about the Trinity. And I promise you, you have not studied it at the level that they have. You didn't didn't have to confront the same heresies unless you've had Jehovah's Witnesses coming around recently. Then you have. You've had to confront it. But not because we're laying out the church doctrine. So it's important. We're tied to our past. But we cannot, we must not be enslaved to the, to the traditions of the past. The songs that we sing, the way that we structure our services, the ministries that we put on the table and we take off the table, they're all based on truth, but they're structured to minister to, to the people of our time and in our place where God has put us in the kingdom. It's much like Paul saying, to those who are under the law, I became as one under the law. To those who are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. But all the time, I kept my focus on Jesus and I didn't, I stayed balanced. But I've become all things to all people so that by all means, some might be saved by belief in the gospel of the Christ. I just want them to hear the gospel is the point that he's making. Ravi Zacharias says all the time, what you want to do when you're pointing someone to Jesus is to take away the obstructions away from the cross, which we used to have up here, and I thought for a brief moment we still might. You take away the obstructions. Just make sure that you don't get in the way. That's why the lighting and the sound and all of those things are important. 
I mean, you know, when people come in and say, well, hey, I didn't hear the keys today, so I'm not going to believe that gospel. Well, that, that's not the way it works. It's not, it's not about that. We want to do everything that we can to allow people to hear the message. And sometimes that means adjusting our style. I've always thought about if we have to choose between tomorrow and yesterday, we've really got no choice. We have to choose tomorrow. Now, I am increasingly belonging, more belonging to yesterday all the time. I feel like yesterday a whole lot. And, and, and fact of the matter is, one of the things that complicates it in a lot of churches is yesterday is paying for today. But look... The greatest thing that could be said about us is that we continue to impact and impart what we know to the ones coming along replacing us long after the styles changed and things didn't go to suit our liking. I got to tell you, we got some senior citizens that love our music and some that just pretty much tolerate it. I admire them so much. I do. I admire the ones who were older, who tolerate it for the sake of the gospel. And when you look at the age of our church, it's fairly young. If it weren't for Jim Maycock, it'd be really young. I'm telling you, I just got to tell you. I'm just kidding. Listen, that's my Paul. That's my mentor. He's one of the ones that has shaped me into being who I am. And he may want to have a word about that, but just be quiet, please. Sean and I in particular, David and Keisha, we all talk about it. Sean and I in particular have been thinking about ways that we can draw these guys out, these guys who have lived and had such wonderful experiences and have have exhibited such beautiful faith in Christ in ways that they can pass down that knowledge to the younger men amongst us. We want to do it because, look, Fact is, we're going to be gone sooner rather than later, most of us. Really. Blinking is done. What if we can leave something of what God has given to us? That's what Drew's talking about this morning, right? What if we can pass it on? Well, my mom, who was an unbelievably effective minister of the Lord for so many years. Talked about the Lord switching our legs. Well, I think He's switching all of our legs this morning. You know, some of us need to want it more. Some of us need to want to give it more. And what it is is what we know about Christ. And you know what? When we're focusing on that, our hearts are going to be drawn to worshiping this one in spirit and truth. One last time. Look at those verses. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him 
must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Well, it's, uh, it's not a riddle, it's not a puzzle. When I talk about Cain and when I talk about Saul, and it's not like we're in danger of of being severely judged if we make just a wrong mistake. These were intentional decisions to worship God in ways that He has not commanded, in ways that He has not revealed about His character. I hope, though, that your heart is drawn to know this God in His Word so that you can worship Him in the ways that He has designed for you to worship Him. Because when we do that, oh my goodness, how wonderful it is. And our hearts soar. And we become more like the one that we exalt in our worship, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God fills our hearts And moves us toward fulfilling the plan the Father has designed for us. It's true of individuals. It's true of an organization. Our Father, we long this day to worship you in spirit and truth. There are so many reasons that we don't. And so many reasons that we... ultimately focus on ourselves even when we pretend to be focusing on you. And we ask that you would, in your mercy and kindness and your love for us, you would convict us and instruct us in your word about what it means to worship. And as we think about worshiping, Lord, along the lines or in accordance to this core value, may we do so as an entire body.